0: We have a Justin Verlander update, as well as some news on Luke Weaver, and what should we do about drafting closers? Like Duff and Taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three cold brews yet. (laughs) Got ahead of me on uh, my my caffeine question, so glad glad to know that there's been some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist.
1: Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball at 15 for Tuesday, March 10th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am here with that Beller feller, Michael Beller. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just came up with that. I do what took me so long. But uh, yeah, for uh, the second day in a row, we've got to talk about Justin Verlander. Of course, that is our, our big story. So let's get started, Michael, right there. Uh, Justin Verlander has been diagnosed with a mild lat strain. So the initial report was something in his forearm. For whatever reason, I find this um, maybe a little less alarming, but we shouldn't take it too lightly because Verlander was quoted as saying that it would probably take a miracle for him to be ready for opening day. So we really should not count on him making uh, an opening day start or being available right at the beginning of the season. So given what we know now that we did not know about 24 24 hours ago, uh, where would you put him, Michael, in your rankings?
1: Yeah, I'm going to have some cognitive dissonance on this one because this is different than any of the other pitchers that we've talked about being injured. And there's already been so many of them, and it feels like I'm always the one who's landing on the episode talking about the injured pitcher. Um, It's going to be different than those guys because this is Justin Verlander, a guy who is a totally different animal when he is fully healthy, who belongs right there again this year with Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, right at the very top of the pitcher rankings. I I think we can... Uh, most estimates, if we're going on early timetables and trying to compare this with uh, previous pitchers who have had the same or a similar injury, would still have Verlander coming in in about the you know 22 to 25 start range. So not a full season, but still a pretty nice chunk of a season. So I, I, for me, it's hard to push Verlander out beyond the top you know 15 or 20 pitchers. Uh, the cognitive dissonance comes in where I say that even though I believe he belongs in that range, still. I just can't take him. You know, I'm going that (laughs) way, Al. I just, I can't do it because there's going to be someone willing to pay that price. And I, I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but there's just no reason to court injury risk when it can find anyone. We've seen it laid bare this spring, just how easy it is to fall into this injury hole for anyone. So I think Verlander still deserves that ranking I personally will not be taking him there. I do think that if you want to get on Verlander, you still have to be prepared to pay an SB2 price for him because we're still going to get 20-something starts out of him, and he still is, when healthy, one of the very best pitchers in the league.
0: Yeah, well, I had the very same cognitive dissonance, and it feels like a little bit of deja vu because it it feels very similar to discussions you and I had about Chris Sale, um, although I think Verlander at this point still feels like the safer option mm-hmm. uh with the the greater ceiling at least for for 2020. so i i'm with you there and, and looking at my pitcher rankings i i basically reached the same conclusion that he belongs basically at the bottom of my second tier which is i mean you could viewed as as one really big tier or maybe a a, a couple of mini tiers with the number one stars you have behind the big four which i guess now is the big three uh or you know the pitchers that you would more lean towards uh as your sp2 i don't see a whole lot of difference between those two groups to be honest so yeah i would let them slide pretty much towards the end of the pitchers i would consider as an sp2 and your your cognitive dissonance it's, it's totally understandable because i don't think i'm unique and i'm getting the sense you think this way too michael that you want to come away with a number one and a number two starter that you think are just going to be rock solid because, you yeah. know, once get, you get beyond the top 15 mm-hmm. or 20 starting pitchers and whatever your rankings are, whatever order you have them in, that's when it gets starts to get a little dicey and you're just going to have to accept risk as a part of the deal with whoever you draft. So uh, I don't know if that really articulates the way you were thinking about it, but uh, that's what I would put. Verlander at the bottom of my second tier. I feel like I'm just taking what you're saying and, mm-hmm. and wording it a little differently. Yeah. But well, you know, I I would prefer to take somebody more solid as my S B two, but he just may be a fallback in case I can't get one of those pitchers.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. Just pulling up the uh, Fantasy Pros consensus ranking. Uh, obviously not the gospel, but a good tool to use in a discussion like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go to SP14 in these consensus rankings. This is Lucas Giolito, 15 is Chris Paddock, 16 is Aaron Nola, 17 you Darvish, 18 Mike Clevenger, 19 Zach Grinke, 20 Noah Sindergaard, 21 Tyler Glasnow. I mean, the cognitive dissonance comes in for me because – I want to say that I would take Verlander over at least some of these guys, but I feel like if it really came down to it and I was pulling the trigger, I'm going to take all of them over Verlander just because of the, the, the question mark. right? We can say, and the Astros and Verlander can say everything they want to say today, But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to come through for them the way that they hope it will uh, in the middle of May or or whenever they're going to be expecting him back. So I look at those names, and at this stage, they just all feel like the better play when you're considering a full fantasy season.
0: I think where there's maybe an exception to that for me is Mike Clevenger because I can kind of pair him up with Verlander and say, okay, both top-shelf guys with healthy, uh, all things being equal, I'd actually rather have Verlander than Clevenger. Mm-hmm, sure. both going to miss some time uh it would seem and both maybe a little risky when they do come back i think i worry about it more with verlander in terms of after effects mm-hmm. when he comes back as opposed to to clevenger given the nature of their respective injuries but i you know i think when i i balance that all out uh it, it's it's a it i'd say at worse for verlander a pretty even comparison
1: yeah and it's just it's it's a hard thing to have to decipher at this stage of the game, but that's what you're going to have to figure, and that's why I say I know he's not going to end up on my teams, because someone is going to be willing to take him over, like you, over, over Clevenger. People are going to be willing to take him over Syndergaard or Glasnow. If you want to go down to SP22, it's Trevor Bauer. Uh, people are going to be willing to take him over UDAR. I mean, there's going to be people who are willing to take him over any one of those guys, maybe even you know three or four of those guys, and I just think it's a little too risky for my blood, especially when we, you know, there's a whole other side of this called hitters uh, that are still going to be very good and going in that same range elite guys so I'm going to be staying away from Verlander most likely but I do this is the one guy of all the injured guys that we've talked about Paxton uh, um, uh, Chris Sale uh, this is the one guy who I might not be going after him at what his cost is likely to be but if you are I don't think you're crazy for doing it
0: yeah and I I definitely would take him over Bauer and I I know that I'm Probably lower on Bauer than the vast majority of people in industry, so that puts me in a little bit of a different spot there. But I, you know, definitely see him settling in right now around number twenty. And again, this this could change in, in a few days. So this is basically advice aimed if you know you've got your draft tonight, you know, or the next next <laughs> couple of days before we know more. Uh, let's move on to another pitcher. We got a little bit of news on Luke Weaver that the Diamondbacks are planning to monitor his workload. You know, this is one that. And you're you know, you're a Weaver guy or I guess more accurately, Weaver was one of your guys. So (laughs) he's a Michael Beller guy. Um, But so, you know, this may have been more top of mind for you than for me. But this is one of those stories where when I saw it, it's like, why wasn't I thinking about this more before? Because he only pitched sixty four and a third innings last year. He's never pitched more than I think about one hundred forty. So it just makes sense. It's just something that really should have been built into our expectations. And it's not that I was ranking Luke Weaver as, you know, he was going to be some sort of workhorse, but I hadn't really thought about the particulars of what would workload management look like. And we have some sort of vague details on that right now, uh, that the Diamondbacks, And this should also is absolutely no surprise. Diamondbacks could use the sixth starter at least occasionally. That's where Mel Kelly perhaps fits into the picture. And they could also limit Weaver's pitch counts. And that, to me, was the part of the story that really stood out because right now he's got a 188 ADP on Fantasy Pros, which, of course, is an amalgam of several different sites. That's not a ton of risk to take on somebody, but by the same token, I mean, you're talking about somebody that maybe he's not going to go more than five innings. All that often, unless, you know, he's got those starts where he's really efficient and really on and maybe they can squeeze, you know, six or six plus out of him. But he's going ahead of Marcus Stroman, Mike fulton and Andrew Heaney. And particularly in the case of Stroman and Fulte, uh, it seems like that should now be flipped given the risk that we have with Weaver.
1: Yeah, you know, part of the reason he was one of my guys is because of the price, because the price just felt so affordable uh, that you weren't taking on the risk, like you said. I love the fastball changeup combo that he has. Uh, I mean, he I think he can, uh, when he is healthy and at the top of his game, as we saw for those 64 and a third last year, uh, one of the best pitchers at working that fastball changeup combo and not just a, uh, a changeup that he throws without the platoon advantage. It's the same side changeup. He can get a lot of swings and misses out of righties on. So I do really like. That combination. Um, Now, this is a little bit of a concern for all the reasons you said. Not because I think there's any heightened. Uh, risk for re-injury any more than the baseline risk that most pitchers have coming into the season. But you do, I mean, in fantasy, we, we, even though we know things like wins are unpredictable, you have to think about the, the the fact that every inning that you don't pitch as the starter is another inning where your win could get given away and there's just less opportunity for you know, a strikeout volume when you're only going to be uh, limited or when you're already being talked about being limited on innings. So I do think that there is a concern there. I think that they also have um, the sort of Team Arizona where they have some flexibility, right? I mean, you're already talking about a team that's, you know, maybe Mike Leak starts the year on the IL, but when this team is fully healthy, you've got six guys who can pretty easily start with Leak and with Merrill Kelly being there as well. So it's an interesting team to look at, and it's the sort of team that can take it easy on some of their starters, which does hurt Luke Weaver's upside. Having said all that, I still like him more than the guys that you mentioned. You know, Fulton Evich is just so up and down. Marcus Stroman, really like him as a real-life pitcher. Fantasy... Not a ton of strikeout upside there. Andrew Heaney, another guy who if he could just stay healthy, I would love him. But we've seen it from him time and time and time again. So I'm not not going away from Luke Weaver from where I was earlier, but I do understand now that there is heightened risk for him not to reach the full potential because of an innings limit that might be there for him all season.
0: Yeah, well, I think that makes sense given his current ADP. I think if we were talking 40, 50 rounds earlier – there might be more of a discussion to be had here, but yeah, if you do have, and I do have some concerns about Mike fulton in terms of the inconsistency, whether or not Stroman is going to be the pitcher he was with the Mets last year or, you know, over the bulk of his career with the the Blue Jays, uh, that's all stuff that could still weight you in, in favor of, uh, of Luke Weaver to be sure. So let's uh, move on to the featured read of the day and it's by you.
1: Oh, Bell. <laughs> congratulations me. Yes.
0: Uh, <laughs> really really neat piece and as you know you and I discussed uh before the the show it's actually this you know dovetails nicely with my latest piece which we'll get to in a little bit but uh, your piece is Scott Oberg Matt Barnes and other zero closer reliever targets so of course the uh, obvious starting point here is to explain for those who may not know what is the zero closer approach
1: I think there are a lot of ways to do it. My interpretation of zero closer, the way that I go for it when I go for it, is not a pure zero closer, because I don't think that's actually a viable way. I don't like punting categories. I'm not trying to totally give up on saves. I think you do need at least one guy, and I mentioned this in the column, you need at least one guy that you can feel pretty good about being a solid enough closer wire to wire. And so guys like Nick Anderson uh, pop up for me, a guy who I have, I have on a lot of my teams, Keone Keela, uh, another guy who I think fits this, Joe Jimenez. Those sorts of guys are the ones who you're going to want to go after. I have at least one of those guys on your team. But we see it year after year. Closers uh, lose, the, lose their jobs, right? Every year, it seems like there's going to be anywhere between, you know, six and 12 opening day closers who are not closers for their teams, based on performance. Then you factor in trades from poor teams to good teams for guys who are our closers and become setup men elsewhere. And then you factor in the way that bullpen usage has changed. There are a lot of guys across the league who might not save one game this season, who can still provide you plenty of fantasy in a high-leverage, high-volume role if they can get a lot of strikeouts and put up gaudy rates. Uh, Chris Davensky is the first guy who always comes to mind for me. This is a few years ago, of course. He has fallen off the map since then. But Chris Davensky had that year with the Astros a couple of years ago. So he threw like you know, 75 innings, striking out a batter and a half per inning and putting up huge uh, or great rates. And that is a really valuable guy, even if he doesn't save a game. And then, of course, you have the caveat that should the closer go down, that would be the obvious guy to step into the role. So I think it's a really useful strategy. Scott Oberg and Matt Barnes are a couple of guys who I like to go after in that way. Hunter Harvey, Will Smith for the Braves, who I think can maybe close very soon for that team. Dylan Patantis, a guy who I just can't quit, and Seth Lugo, his teammate with the Mets, uh, with the way Edwin Diaz has looked. There are a lot of guys who fit this role. You're looking for innings, strikeouts, rates, and a high-leverage role coming into the season. There are a lot of good ways to build a bullpen uh, by doing that, by finding guys like that, and that's how I interpret zero closer.
0: All right, well, and and Seth Lugo is in the uh, the – intersection in the Venn diagram between your column and my column, because I talk, also talked about some uh, bargain relief targets, um, but but from a little bit of a different angle, which I'll get to in a moment, but uh, Lugo is was number one on my list. So uh, yeah, he, he checks all your boxes in terms of uh, a lot of innings, great ratios, strikeouts, everything. Uh, but saves if he doesn't close and he very well could close uh, this year, depending on what happens with uh, Edwin Diaz and if he can bounce back. So uh, Seth Lugo, no matter what your approach is, somebody definitely to put on your list. Uh, now I did a column where I looked at the percentage of saves that are drafted uh, and, and our editor, Nato Defino came to me with this idea and, you know, I thought it was an interesting question that I, I you know, didn't have an answer to. So I, I did some research and what I found is that, and I broke it down a few different ways, so um, you know I won't go through all of them, but the stat that really kind of smacked me in the head uh, here was that um, if you look at relievers who got 20 or more saves over the last five seasons combined, 75% of the saves from that group of relievers, 20-plus save relievers, 75% of the, those saves were drafted even in 15 team leagues. There was very little difference between the number of saves captured in 12 team leagues and in versus 15 team leagues. I found that really surprising, Michael. Um, and just the fact that the the actual percentage of saves that were drafted, whether it's 12 team or 15 team, three out of every four saves was w- of from a 20 save reliever was represented even in a 15 team league. So this is. Really big for me because the last couple of years with the changing closer landscape, I thought I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm going to do you know what you recommended. I'm going to get one solid reliever in the draft or the auction, and I'm just going to piece it together in fab because that it seems like that's always worked for me. And <laughs> my research shows that either I'm a unicorn or <laughs> I am totally delusional <laughs> about my ability to get saves off of waivers because you know in any given year, one out of you know only one out of every four saves from a 20 plus save reliever is going to be available. And I think that's a relevant yeah. a relevant distinction to make, because if you're targeting relievers who, you know, are only getting 10 or 15 saves, then you're making it hard on yourself to, you know, stockpile a bunch of, of cheaper relievers that may only get 10 or 15 saves. So I drew from that conclusion, I better draft plan on drafting all my saves.
1: I think it's a wise conclusion and it's an interesting column for sure. I read it uh, earlier today. It's uh, something that uh, should be thought about. And I think these things can actually work together. I don't think that these things are, I don't think they're diametrically opposed uh, systems to work with one another. Maybe just in, in the way that you could blend it is instead of, you know, Nick Anderson being your bedrock closer, that you go a little bit higher. All uh, right, and Nick Anderson is then your second guy, and then you load up uh, with cheaper guys, or you don't even take a Nick Anderson, and you load up with some of the cheaper guys. I would also point out that the 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 risk uh, for going for counting on the waiver wire is that. Believe it or not, you're not the only person in your league who wants those waiver wire safes. That's, those are some of the most highly sought-after, highly competitive bids are the people who become closers in midseason. You're going to have to if you – first of all, you're going to have to be the one out of you know, 12, 15, whatever your league, to get the person. And secondly, you're probably going to have to spend a lot of your fab or depending on how your league does it, whatever you're going to have to – that person is not going to come cheap. So that is something that you have to keep in mind no matter how you are attacking this position is that as fun or as easy as it sounds – In theory, it is not easy to be the person who gets the waiver wire closer. There is huge competition for that player.
0: Man, I am going to have to let that sink in, that other owners in my league may may want the closer. (laughs) They might want him. That's crazy, (laughs) man. All right, well, while uh, uh, I'm going to let that sink in, we're just going to wrap things up here on Fancy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. So everything that we do, like these two columns uh, and uh, everything else, That's all included with your subscription. So if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, we'd also greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Michael Beller, I'm Al Melchior. Uh, We'll be back here on Wednesday. It'll actually be the dynamic duo, duo of Michael Beller and Derek Van Riper on Wednesday.